Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning, everybody. And good morning to those who are worshiping and watching with us online. Uh, Happy New Year, this New Year's Eve Sunday uh, going into 2024. It's amazing. Uh, Pastor Craig, my name is Jordan Schmidt, sorry, I am the youth director here at the River. Pastor Craig and Cindy are away on some well-deserved vacation time uh, visiting their family, so they will be with us next week as we launch Vision Vision Sunday. Hopefully you guys are here, it's going to be a great service uh, as we move forward in 2024, the direction of our church and how we are to serve the community and others. Um, One other quick announcement before we get to the message, Uh, Brett and Maggie Jackamer welcomed in a uh, new baby girl on December 28th. Amen. That's right. little baby girl named Grace. It's the daughter and son-in-law of uh, Bob and Amy Welsh, members of our church. So we congratulate them, and we're grateful. We're grateful to God. So uh, this morning, today, we are going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and it'll be verses 32 through 45. If you have a Bible, you can go there. And we're going to be talking about um, chasing greatness, And what is greatness? How is it it defined in the world and the culture? And how is it defined by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And, you know, as I stand here, I remember early on in my time here at the river when I was volunteering, helping out uh, the former youth pastor, Pastor Nat, when he was here, I had an opportunity to go on the first youth convention trip with the students. And uh, the Assemblies of God, they have these. We go to these now. They're amazing. There's thousands of students, thousands of kids that go somewhere to worship God, to hear the word of God preached, and they're a wonderful thing. And I was, I was my first time going, and I had felt the call of God on my life um, to pastor, and I'm sitting there in this auditorium up in the Poconos, and there was thousands of kids there, and I was listening to the preacher preach. And, you know, listening to this message, and I was looking around, and I thought in my heart, I said, you know, God, I want to do something great for you. Wouldn't it be great if one day that I would be able to be up there preaching to these kids, preaching to thousands, doing all this stuff? And if you would see the depths of my heart in that moment, the greatness that I wanted was solely for myself. I didn't want to glorify God. It wasn't for the glory of Jesus. It wasn't for the, the lifting up of God. It wasn't for helping these students, these teenagers who desperately needed to hear the truth. It was for Jordan. And that's the dangerous thing about greatness, the pursuit of greatness, the pursuit of something in our lives. It walks a parallel road with pride. And pride is was the chief sin that Satan fell to the earth for and was cast down to the earth. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, he, it is written of him that he wanted to ascend above God. He wanted to be like the Most High. I will make myself like God. For that always what pride is. It is what Eve in the garden, what the serpent tempted her with. He said, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when she saw that the fruit was good and it was one for making her wise, she took. It may be the chief of all sins. All sins can probably be walked back to pride. And in the pursuit of greatness, again, we must be 
vigilant. And the big question is, what's our why? You know, why did I want that? And why do we want to do what we want to do in our lives? And as we think about that, we'll go to this account where the disciples were asking Jesus and wanted to be great. And Jesus, in his love and his grace, taught them a lesson and defined what greatness is. And it reads in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 32. It says, Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, scourge him, spit on him, and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those who have been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. This word that will be a cold splash of water on our faces this morning. I pray, Lord God, that it would go forth and bear much fruit as you pierce our hearts with the truth. May we decrease and you increase, and may you teach us what it is to be great in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the beginning of these verses, that was a lot of scripture, sorry about that, but the beginning of these verses, 32 through 34, Jesus announces to his disciples for the third time, uh, his passion, um, that he will be going to Jerusalem to, in fact, go be killed and rise again on the third day. And this was, again, the third time that he had stated this in the Gospel of Mark. The first time was in chapter 8, verse 31, and it comes on the heels where Peter had just confessed Jesus to be the Messiah, right? So this is a big deal for these disciples, these 12 Jewish uh, men walking around with Jesus because the Messiah, right, was going to be the ruler, the kingdom, you know, the Jews, they had an idea of the Messiah, how we see Jesus coming back his second time. Coming on the white horse with the army, destroying evil, setting up the kingdom for Jerusalem, and, and having everything, his earthly kingdom set up. They were not aware that he would come how he came and to do what he was going to do. So they, Peter confesses Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, and Jesus says, you're right, you know, it's been revealed to you by God. And they're pretty excited. And then immediately after that, 
Jesus says, now I will go to Jerusalem, be killed, and I will rise again the third day. And the text says he said this to them plainly. So Peter's, uh, Peter's like, okay, uh, Jesus, come here. Pulls Jesus aside, and the Bible says begins to rebuke him. He says, you know, this is never going to happen. This, this, I don't know what you're talking about, this Messiah, go die stuff. This is, not, this is not what's going down. And Jesus looks at Peter in front of the disciples, and he says, get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Amen. And immediately after that, he calls the crowd, and then he says, if anybody would ever come after me, let them deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save their life in this generation will lose it. But they who lose their life for my sake in the Gospels will find it. Whoa. Right? Talk about that night at dinner with the disciples sitting down there thinking, it was kind of a weird day. You know, James is looking over Bartholomew. He's like, hey, did you hear what Jesus said today? Uh, He's the Messiah, and that's really cool, and we're excited about that. But he, then he said he had to go die and be raised up. That was kind of weird. And then he called Peter Satan, which that was a little interesting as well. Um, and then something about picking up our cross where people go and die. That's how the Romans kill people and follow him. Did you hear that right? And a couple days later, after Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration, and then he heals a boy with a demon, Jesus again for the second time tells them, he says, I will go, be killed, and be raised up on the third day. And this time, they're ready. Right? They're not ready. They still don't understand. The Bible says that they did not understand, and they were afraid. But this time, nobody said a word. <laughs> right? Not on blame them. Right? Peter got called Satan. They were kind of sitting there listening to this like, all right. I'm not touching this one. I'm not saying anything. I'm not going to be that guy. And they're walking back to Capernaum. And on their way back, though, they begin to discuss among themselves who is the greatest. Right? They're thinking, well, maybe if he is going to go die, who's, who's going to take his place? Like me in the beginning, who's going to stand up there in this glory in themselves and preach to these students? Who's going to take Jesus' place? Is it me? It can't be Peter. Peter's Satan now, buddy. You're not going to be the one. So maybe it's me. And Jesus gets back to the house, and he looks at them, and he says, what are you talking about on the way? In, you know, silence. I'm sure, get, you know, guilt, shame hit them right in their hearts because they didn't say a word. And Jesus says, whoever wants to be first among you must be last. And he brings a child, and he puts him in the center, and he tries to teach them a lesson on humility. And here we are coming to the third and final time where Jesus would predict this. And this one is a little more explicit, right? He said he will deliver him to the Gentiles. They will be mock him. They will scourge him, spit on him, kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. He's very explicit. And here come James and John. You know, it's funny. The Bible, it's so beautiful because it shows humanity as humanity, right? These are the followers. These are the lovers of Christ. These are the 12 disciples the people in the church, right? And, and Jesus is saying hard things to them about the hardest thing that Jesus would have to do in his life as a man, the son of man, to go die, to bear the sins of the world for our benefit, for the disciples' benefit. He tells them his friends three times, and here's the third. And each time he tells them, the first time they go, actually, you're wrong, Jesus, that's not gonna happen. The second time they start talking about which one of them is better. And this third time, James and John come, 
yeah, that's great, Jesus, but before you do that, we need you to do whatever we ask you right now. And we can laugh and sneer, not, you know, look at this question and think, what a bunch of knuckleheads, you know, asking this question after Jesus says this. They basically say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Blank check. We're going to ask you a question, Jesus, but you, may, you have to say yes before we ask. And like, again, we can look at this and shake our heads, but I will confess to you, many times in my life, my prayer often looks this way. God, I need this right now. This is what needs to happen in my life. This is the situation. I need you to move this. I need you to help me here. I need you to give me this and take away this. And let me just, in Jesus' name, send it up. You co-sign that, and I'll be waiting on you. But I'm not waiting too long, right? Because it needs to happen on my time, in my way, and how I need it to happen. And it better look like that, or I'm going to start maybe waffling in my faith, maybe start, are you really there? Are you really God? Are you really helping I'm ashamed to say that most of my prayer in my life looks this way. Never mind God's will, God's way, God's plan, God's purpose, God's timing. If it be that I suffer, if it be that I struggle, if it be that anything for the glory of God. You know, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God is hallowed. God is glorious. God is perfect, right? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done first as it is in heaven. Our prayer, may it be that we align ourselves with the will of God anywhere that we are. And then daily bread. So here they are and they come and ask this silly question. In God's character, Jesus is so wonderful because he doesn't freak out. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't make fun of them. He looks at them and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say to him, grant us that we may sit on your right hand and on your left in your glory. In ancient rabbinical tradition, right, the rabbi, the teacher, which is obviously Christ, the star pupil would be on the right, and the second place star pupil would be on the left. And this is what James and John were asking, right? They were saying, hey, look, you know, let us stand next to you in your glory. We want positions of prominence, positions of prestige and purpose, greatness, But again, what was their motive of their heart? Like mine betrayed me when I wanted to preach in front of everybody. Why do they want this position? To lord it over people is what Jesus talks about a little bit later. But I remember when I was an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I had been sober for about a year. So I had everything figured out, right? And um, (laughs) I went to a beginner's meeting and the beginner's meeting they have, they usually have people that are, you know, a couple days, a couple months, a couple weeks, speak first to share their struggles and what they're, what's going on with them. And I'm in this meeting, and I'm sitting here listening, and these, the, the people are sharing with a couple days, a couple weeks, and just kind of a lot of negativity and just struggling. They're struggling, right? And they're just saying how this kind of stinks, and they miss drinking, and they want to go back, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there. And I'm like, I've been sober for a year. These people need my advice. These people need a piece of my mind, and I'm going to give it to them, right? So I raise my hand like a fool and um, (laughs) proceed to go on a tirade of what they should be doing. Right? I had a position of I had figured it out. I had been a year where I had beaten this, so to speak. So let me tell you what needs to happen. Let me tell you how you should be. 
And it was foolish and it was awful and I'm ashamed of it. And there was a woman right after I said all this who raised her hand and she said, you know, this is really hard. Everybody in here is hurting. Everybody in here is broken. And please just take the good in these meetings and, and leave the bad. I'm proud of you all for just being here. And uh, try to do this one day at a time and trust God and you'll be okay. Right? Talk about wisdom. But not to me in that moment. I'm sitting there. How dare this lady undercut me after I just said I got home to my apartment. I was fuming. I was pacing back and forth. I said, God, what the heck was that? I gave these kids truth. I said, everything's a you problem. Everything should be, you know, looking at yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. I was spitting fire, God, right? I was telling the truth. And the Holy Spirit <laughs> said, Jordan, what's the difference between them and you? Was it you that got yourself sober? Was it you that brought people in into your life that, that you know, turned, helped turn you around? Was it you that walked you into this church? Was it you that you are standing here today not drinking because of what? Because of your wisdom, because of your position? And I began to weep and cry and ask God for forgiveness because, too, I hated that woman in that moment. Right, you want to check the pride meter in your life. That woman rebuked me with such love and wisdom. How do you take correction? How do you take advice? How do you take chastisement from God or others? Right, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, a fool or he who hates reproof, he who hates instruction is stupid, is what it says, is a fool. Right, and if somebody, your friend, a spiritual leader, a, a, you know, somebody in your life is saying, hey, you know, maybe you need to do this or look at this differently, are you immediately like, nope, nope, not me, what are you talking about? Or if you hear a sermon, if you hear a word, if you hear something, and immediately your mind goes to, I know somebody who needs to hear this, woo. Not me, though. You might want to see what road you're walking. So, Jesus then says, you know, you don't know what you're asking when they ask this question. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And the answer is absolutely not. Um, the cup that Jesus is referring to is the cup of the wrath of God that will be poured out onto Christ on the cross for our sins and the sins of the world. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane would pray, Father, three times, can this cup pass from me? Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. This is the cup and the baptism that Jesus is speaking of. And the baptism refers to just the, the calamity coming to Christ, the struggle, the human struggle that he would go. He sweat blood. He sweat blood in the, you know, in the garden. He was a man knowing he was marching ahead of the disciples to his death, being submissive to the Father. So he is the only one that could drink this cup because he's the only one that has defeated pride, by the way. Adam and Eve fell. And then Jesus had a 1v1 face-off with Satan in the desert. And one of the temptations that Satan presented to Jesus, he said, if you are God, go ahead and throw yourself down off this cliff. Show me that you're God. Right? Imagine that. Show me that you're God. Because it's written that 
His angels will come and lift you up, lest your foot strike a stone. And Jesus said, you shall not put your Lord, your God, to the test. And Jesus defeated Satan in the desert. And he would defeat him again at the cross, right? But it must be the Son of Man that drinks this cup. It cannot be anybody else. It is definitely not James and John. It is no one else in the world. There is one way to God, and it is through the perfect Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Born without sin, born without corruption, born without the corruptible seed of pride. And so it has to be him, and it is him. There is no other name which well we should and, and are saved. So he is the one. But they foolishly say, we are able. And Jesus says, you indeed will drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to grant, but is for those who it is prepared. First with that, Jesus was submissive to the Father his whole earthly walk, right? They would ask him later on, tell us about the end of the age. When's that going to come? And he said, neither the angels nor the Son of Man knows, but only the Father in heaven. And Jesus was fully God. But also in the Gospel of John, he was talking to the people. He said, the Son does nothing that the Father does not show him. He can do nothing outside of the Father. It was the Father's will that he would go be crushed. So it's not Jesus' to grant and he gives a little prophecy. He says, you will indeed drink this cup. James, in fact, would be the first apostle to be martyred for his faith in the gospel, or I'm sorry, in the book of Acts, chapter 12. He would be beheaded by Herod Agrippa. And this cup, this baptism that Jesus is talking about, and then John would later die. He would die last. James would die first. John would die last. After he received the book of Revelation, he would write the book of John. He would write the book of, you know, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He got a little wisdom in his older age, but he would eventually die on the island of Patmos where he was exiled. So they will suffer. And as Christians following Christ, there will be suffering. And Jesus is not a stranger to that, for he goes as the suffering servant, to die. And he tells them, you will experience this. It's not the absence of trial. It's not the absence of any kind of struggle in life to follow Jesus. It is that he has already done it. And we are to follow him faithfully. And he is with us in the midst of it. You know, and Paul knew a little, a little bit about this because the cancer of pride in our hearts. Often it can only be rooted out with affliction. God in his mercy will bring trial, will bring affliction, so that we do not believe that it is I or us that has gotten us to where we are, our job, our family, our position, our status. If we think it's all of us, God will send in his love affliction. And Paul knew about this because he wrote about it in 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, and if anybody is going to sit at the right hand or left hand of Christ, certainly it, it could have been, it might be Paul, one of the greatest evangelists ever. And Paul saw the risen Christ when he knocked him off his horse. He was commissioned by Christ personally to preach the gospel, and then Paul was ascended up to the third heaven and saw things that no other man would ever see. And Paul writes that he was given a thorn in the flesh, 
a messenger from Satan because he says that I will not exalt myself. Right, God, if we're going through a trial, not by rule and not always, but it may be God getting our attention that we are more on our knees than thanking him and looking to him for the position or wherever we are. He said, not to exalt myself. I was given this messenger of Satan. It was given to him by God. It was not Satan didn't. Satan was the, the mediator. God is the one who sent it. The book of Job, right? God was sovereign over Job's, Job's suffering. So he says, you will suffer. And when the ten heard that James and John had asked this silly question, they began to be greatly displeased with them. Right, and a real quick note here, how do we handle when others are being blessed by God? Or when others are using their gifts, if other people are moving in the kingdom of God? Are we jealous? Are we angry? Are we bitter? Because the disciples weren't angry because they're like, how dare you ask this question to the Savior of the world? No, they were jealous because they might miss out on the seat of prominence. They might miss out on maybe the position next to Jesus, or they were going to be behind now than these other two. So they were upset. And Jesus calls them all to himself. Right after their silly question, their bickering, their anger, Jesus' little teaching, he brings them all together and he says, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over people, And great ones exercise authority over people. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. This is the crux of the teaching for the disciples here, what Jesus is showing them and telling them what it is to be great. To be great in the world, right? You look around, self-exaltation, self-glory. Satan has given people Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. The whole world can perform their life, right? We so idolize movie stars, sports stars, people of greatness, right? And he said, hey, look, you do it now. Perform your life in front of the world. And Jesus sits with them and he says, if you want to be great, you will be a servant. And if you read the whole chapter, Jesus teaches on marriage, teaches about children, then he teaches about possessions and things in our hearts with the rich young ruler, and then we get to this text. Greatness is serving. To be a Christian is, to be, is more than just a servant. We have the promises of God, the love of God, the grace of God, but it is not less than being a servant. You know, in marriage, wives, your service to Christ, your love of God, the Bible teaches in Ephesians chapter five, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Nobody likes this. What does that mean? And to be sure, it is wives submit to your husbands. It is not men submit to women. It is if you are a wife, 
to serve God, to be a servant in your home, is to honor the order of God. For the man is the head of the woman and Christ is the head of the man. And what does that look like as a servant, right? The temptation for a wife is to white, white lord over the husband, right? Maybe to question every decision that they make or everything that may come along. Well, maybe no, maybe undercut them in any kind of discipline or discussion with children or any kind of decisions that be made in the home. The temptation of pride is to lord over, to usurp. And if a decision is to be made in the family, you are one man and wife. Both should be heard. Both should be considered opinions, directions, suggestions, prayerfully considered. But if your husband decides to go a route or make a decision that you don't agree with, that you didn't think was the right one, can you be a servant and honor that decision, support him in that decision, and trust God that God will deal with him or God will deal with the situation and make the crooked straight. And maybe if it's the right decision, maybe God is just trying to elevate your faith and trust in God and not in your faith and trust to try to control the situation. Because the world will tell you greatness for a woman is to, right, independent woman, Beyonce, right, live your life, get your career, don't worry about raising children or family, right? And, and, and you don't need anybody. That's what the world tells you greatness is, to be a woman. Husbands. (laughs) And I say this as a man who's only been married three years, and I am well acquainted with my shortcomings and my failures. But the Bible teaches that you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, in the world, we don't really like that submit talk, but the husband, you have a harder job. Adam was held accountable for what happened in the garden, not Eve. And you, as a husband, will be held accountable for your house, your children, your wife, the sanctification. You will be held accountable. When you stand before God, when I stand before God, that is what I will answer for first. And the man is our temptation to lord over our our wives. Come home from a long days of work, long week of work, you come home, nobody bother me, I gotta be alone, I can't be dealt with this, I'm not doing anything, I need my time. Do you serve your wife? Do you love your wife? I heard a preacher say it like this, and it is true. Your job is to die. Go die and have your family stand on top of you because that is what Christ did for the church. He died. It is a husband's job to die. It's a hard calling, right? But do you lord over your wife? Or do you hear her? Do you love her? Do you sanctify her in the washing of the water of the word? Do you pray with her? Do you pray over her? Are you the first to apologize? Are you the first to lead? Are you the first to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong? Forgive. You are the leader of the home. Are you a servant? Children. I don't see any children. Well, we're all children at one point, but 
that uh, are you submissive to your parents? Until you get married, right? We should be a servant and submissive to our parents. Honor them that it may go well for you. Are you a servant wherever God has placed you? In your work, in your home, in your community, in your church, wherever you are, we are called to serve. Not to lord it over. If you're a boss, if you're over people in a department at your job, do you lord it over? Do you say point and go? Do you shift blame? Do you blame other people? Or do you take full responsibility for what's going on at work? Full responsibility for any department that you may run. Full responsibility as Christ was what? Leading them to Jerusalem. He was not sulking, walking in the background. He was leading. Leading by serving. And then with our finances and our lives, as Jesus talked to the, the rich young ruler, do we serve with the blessings and gift of God that he has given us in our finances? Do we give to those who don't have what we have? Do we serve God with what he has given us with our finances to spread the gospel? Do we serve because greatness in the world will tell you more money in the 401k, new car, new house, new home, new shirt, new coat. That's greatness, right? Look at that house. Look at that car. Look at that stuff. Hey, we're raising money for missions. Ooh. Can't be bothered with that. How do we serve? What is greatness? You know, there have been times as the youth director here, I go up to 11 a.m. service and there's one or two students there. And I remember I can get really discouraged and I was asking God sometimes, I'd be like, what are you doing, God? Like, I'm never going to be great. I'm never going to be preaching in front of thousands if I got one student up here. This isn't what it's supposed to look like. This isn't great. And one day, one of these students came to me after church, and he said, hey, Jordan, I'm really struggling with this thing. Will you sit with me and talk and pray with me? And I sat, and I talked, and I prayed with him for a half hour, 20 minutes after church. And God showed me what greatness is. It is to serve wherever God has placed me. It was one of the most fulfilling, beautiful moments in my life, in my ministry. It's not the viral sermon. It's not the thousand people following me on YouTube and blah, 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 all this crap. It was to sit with somebody who needed to be comforted, who needed to hear Christ, who needed to be prayed for. Can you serve? where you are, where God has put you. Because it doesn't look like you think it should look. And we see, again, that Christ is the suffering servant. He is the king of kings, 
the Lord of lords, the ruler of all creation, the creator of the universe, the creator of you, but he is also a servant. And we see this beautifully put in the book of Philippians where Paul illustrates this. In chapter two, verse three, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of, of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. What is greatness to God? When you think about the life of Christ, God revealed to a lowly Jewish girl that she would carry the savior of the world and a carpenter would be his earthly father. He came and he was born in a dirty stable in a nothing town called Bethlehem and to announce the savior of the word, the king of the world, God revealed it to some shepherds in a field. Jesus would then begin to grow and he sat in the temple one Passover and he was asking questions to the Pharisees and his mother and father lost them. And they came back and they said, why did you do that to us? What were you doing? And Jesus was submissive to his parents, the Bible says, after that. When he would begin his ministry, he did not call the governors, the popular people, the celebrities. He went to 12 regular people, fishermen. He would then spend his ministry walking and healing the low of the society, eating with sinners, going to the broken, sharing the truth, all the while veiling himself as the Messiah. In fact, he would reveal that he was the Messiah, not to Nicodemus, the great ruler, the great Pharisee in John's Gospel, chapter 3, but the very next chapter to a lowly Samaritan woman at a well. Jesus would then, before he died, with this 12 bandits of people he had, he would take out his outer garment and he would wash their feet at the Last Supper to serve them. And he would wash the feet of the man who would betray him, sign his death warrant, Judas. So can you serve those who don't treat you well? Can you love your enemy? Can you pray for those who persecute you? Because Jesus did. He knows what that's like. He would then go to the cross and be taunted and tempted. Are you the son of God? Are you the son of man? And he went without a word. And he would die for your sin, for my sin, for the sins of the world, submissive to the Father. He would then raise 
in glory. And what did he do? He appeared to two regular people walking on the road to Emmaus. This is God. In greatness to God doesn't look like greatness to the world or the greatness of culture. So as we go forward in 2024, can we follow the perfect example of our Savior and serve? Will you serve your home? Will you serve where God has placed you? Will you serve in your local church where you serve in your community? Will you sit with people? Will you love them? Will you pray with them? This is what it looks like to be great. So as we sing this last song, and I do want to encourage everybody, this is a bit of a hard word, but God knows. And God is long-suffering and God is patient and God is kind and God is forgiving and loving. These 12 apostles, he bore with them for three years and he will tarry with you. He will tarry with me in our mess. Don't be discouraged. For his love, his grace are greater. So may we sing and worship and ask God to teach us what it is to be great. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.